We're continuing in our 40 Days of Purpose campaign today by looking at uh, God's fourth purpose for your life. Uh, you were shaped for serving God. Uh, let's read Ephesians 2.10 out loud together. Uh, we'll read this one. It was our first week's memory verse, so we ought to be able to recite it. But uh, if you need to, why well, you can peek. Let's read it together. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, the Bible says we're created to serve. We're saved to serve. We're gifted to serve. We're shaped to serve. We are commanded to serve. You were created to make a contribution, not just to consume. Uh, God made you to make a difference. Now, whenever God gives you an assignment to do something, he never gives you that assignment without equipping you, without giving you the means to do that assignment. And so God says that you are shaped for serving. Job 10.8, your hands shaped me and made me. Now here at Rockbrook, we've identified five things that God uses to shape you for ministry. They are your spiritual gifts, your heart, what it is you love to do, your abilities, what you're able to do, your personality, and your life experiences. And that spells S-H-A-P-E, your shape. And God uniquely shapes you for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve Him by serving other people. Now, God shapes you uniquely, but your uniqueness is not for your benefit. Okay? It's not about you. First Peter 4.10, let's read this one out loud. Each of us should use whatever gift he's received to, that's right, to serve others. Your talents, your shape, is not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the body of Christ. So write this down. My fourth purpose in life is to serve God by serving others. And you're not put here just to consume. You're put here to serve God by serving other people. Now, a lot of people want to serve God but they don't want to serve other people. Okay? They want to get all spiritual about it, but they don't want to get practical about it. But the way you serve God is by serving other people. The Bible word for serving God by serving others is the word ministry. And when you use your shape to help somebody else, that's ministry, and you are being a minister. Now, when I say the word minister, we oftentimes think of a professional. A professional is the preacher or the pastor or, or a minister. But the Bible says that every believer is a minister. Now, it doesn't say every believer is a pastor because those two are different. But every believer is a minister. We're all called to minister. We're all called to serve. In fact, in the Bible, the word to minister and ministry is the same as the word serve. Now, the very first week of this series we discovered that this life is preparation for eternity. That what God wants you to do while you're here on earth is He wants you to practice what you're going to do forever in heaven. And one of the things that you're going to do forever in heaven is you are going to serve God and you're going to serve other people. Okay? That's one of the amazing things about heaven. You get to serve God and you get to serve other people. And God wants you, while you're here on earth, to practice, 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 so that you'll be ready for that. Now, not only does God create us to serve, but God has given us a model to look to, a model of what it means to serve. 
And that's his son, Jesus Christ. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, Your attitude must be like my own. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. So your shape, your spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and life experience, your shape will determine your area of ministry. But your attitude determines your maturity. And ministry always flows out of maturity. Okay? So your shape determines your ministry. You want to know what God wants you to do with your life? You look at your shape. But your servant's heart, your attitude, determines and demonstrates your maturity. The people in in our day spend so much time uh, searching for self-worth and self-esteem. They want to feel good about themselves. They want their life to be significant. But they're looking at all the wrong places. Uh, You don't get self-worth from success. I mean, just look at all the successful people who feel so horrible about themselves. You you don't uh, get self-esteem from status. You don't get self-esteem from sex. You know, you get self-esteem from service. You find significance in service. Jesus said that when you give your life in service to other people, that's when you find your life. So what does it take to learn to serve like Jesus? He's the model. What does it take to serve like him? Three things today. First, serving like Jesus means being available. Serving like Jesus means being available. One day Jesus was walking down to the road to Jericho, and two blind men shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called to them, what do you want me to do for you? Circle the word stopped. Jesus stopped. You know, a lot of people want to uh, follow the steps of Jesus. I think we need to study the stops of Jesus. If you want to be used by God, you must be willing to be stopped, to be interrupted. Most of Jesus' ministry, most of Jesus' miracles were interruptions. He was already busy doing something else, and someone called out with a need, or the opportunity presented it to him to stop what he was doing and do something great for God. The people that he healed, they were interruptions. And his first miracle interrupted a wedding. You know, it says Jesus stopped. If we're going to serve like Jesus, we've got to stop and be available. Now, what keeps us from being available? I'm going to give you two barriers today. first barrier is self-centeredness. Philippians 2.4 says, Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. You know, whenever you see a need right in front of you, guess what? That, That is God giving you an opportunity to practice serving. The number one enemy of ministry, the number one enemy of compassion, is busyness. I'm too busy to take advantage of the opportunities to serve that come my way. You know, we we just get too busy. We're pursuing our own agenda. We hang a do not disturb sign on our heart. And we're going to stay the course. But if you have a servant's heart like Jesus, you've got to be ready to be interrupted. Because you let God's agenda set your agenda. Not your to-do list and not your plans. I mean, almost every miracle, almost every ministry opportunity that Jesus did, he did when he was interrupted. So self-centeredness can become a barrier to being available to serve God. I'm pursuing my purposes instead of God's purposes. Second barrier, 
is perfectionism. You want to wait to serve until the conditions are perfect. You want to wait until everything is just right, until you know all you're supposed to know, until everything is organized and it's not going to be inconvenient. Uh, let's read Ecclesiastes 11.4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. You know, uh, Christ-like servants don't wait for perfect conditions. You know, I, I'll talk to people about ministry opportunities. And, oh, you know, we'll do that when we got time. We'll do that when things settle down. Life's a little chaotic right now. Uh, listen, folks, things are not going to settle down. When things have settled down, you're dead. Okay? So if you're going to be like Christ, you've got to just serve out of the hustle and bustle and the chaos and the busyness of life. Number two, serving like Jesus means being grateful. Being grateful. John chapter 11, Jesus has this amazing ministry opportunity. He, he serves in an incredible way. His friend Lazarus has died, and Jesus shows up uh, three days after he's died, after the funeral, and goes to the cemetery. And uh, the people there just thought that he had come to mourn Lazarus. Jesus had a different idea in mind. He didn't go there to mourn. He went there to do ministry. He went there to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, Jesus could have just walked up to Lazarus' tomb. He could have prayed a silent prayer, not said anything out loud. But instead, he prayed out loud. And when he prayed out loud, he tells us the reason why he prayed out loud. So let's look at this. It says, Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. Okay. Jesus wanted the people standing there to know that he was thankful that God heard him. Jesus wanted you and me to be able to read all these years later that, that Christ was thankful that God heard him. Jesus had an attitude of gratefulness in everything that he did. He had a grateful attitude in ministry. Father, I thank you. And you might say, well, I'd be grateful too if I could raise people from the dead. Okay? But Christ was thankful in ministry uh, even when it was hard. Uh, Christ was grateful when he was criticized in ministry. He was grateful when things weren't easy in ministry. It was the attitude that he had in his ministry. Ministry and miracles always happened in this attitude of gratefulness for the opportunity. Apostle Paul was grateful. Paul said, I thank Jesus Christ because he trusted me. He gave me this work of serving him. Paul was grateful for the opportunity to work for Christ. The uh, Bible talks about our attitude of gratefulness in Psalm 102. Uh, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. You know, why do we serve God with gladness? Why do we serve God with gratefulness? Why do we serve not with a sense of duty, but with a sense of delight? Not out of a sense of obligation, but a sense of, oh, this is an opportunity for me to serve Christ. We serve Him with gratefulness because He's given life to us through Jesus Christ. If God never did anything else for us, that is enough to be grateful for for the rest of eternity. For the rest of our lives, we've got to serve Him because of what He's done for us. Second Timothy 1.9 says, It is He who saved us and chose us for His holy work. See, He doesn't just save us. He shaped us to serve. Not because we deserved it, 
but because that was his plan. God has saved us. He has called us to minister, to serve, and it's out of gratefulness for what he's done for us that we serve him. Now, there are some barriers to gratefulness. What are they? First barrier, comparing and criticizing. When you compare yourself to other people, when you criticize other people who are serving, that is a barrier that gets in the way of gratefulness. Romans 14.4, who are you to criticize someone else's servant? The Lord will determine whether his servant has been successful. We were all God's servants, so it's, it's his, his opinion that matters. Not my opinion of you or your opinion of me or our opinion of somebody else. It's God's opinion that matters. And competing with each other in ministry just doesn't make any sense. I and mean, we're all on the same team. We all have the same goal. We're all trying to fulfill God's purposes. And God has given each of us different about abilities and different tasks to do. And to think that we can compare or criticize people as they're doing that is it, just petty. It's ridiculous. But human nature, human nature is that we have the temptation to compare and to criticize other people. And we let comparing and criticizing others rob us of the joy and gratefulness uh, in our life. But if I just stop and look at what God has done for me and I have an attitude of gratitude about that, I don't have any need to compare. I don't have any need to critique or criticize somebody else. In fact, I realize that any time spent comparing or criticizing is time that I could have been spending in serving. Comparing and criticizing are a barrier to gratefulness. Uh, second barrier is wrong motivations. Matthew 6.1. Jesus said, when you do good deeds, don't try to show off. If you do, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. You know, showing off self-promotion and servanthood don't mix. They don't mix. We can get them mixed up, but they don't mix. You know, a lot of our service can be self-serving at times. You know, we can serve to try and get other people to like us. We can serve to achieve our own goals. We, we can serve to be admired. I mean, we're serving, but all the time we're serving, we're thinking, oh, how noble we are as servants. We're, we're humble servants, but all the time we're humble, we're proud of how humble we are. You need to watch that. It'll sneak up on you. Sometimes servanthood it, it can become a way for us to try and manipulate God. Well, I'll serve God, then God will serve me. I'll do what God wants me to do, and then God will do what I want Him to do. You know, it's, these wrong motivations can sneak in. Now, how do you know when you have the wrong motivation in ministry? What when you lose the sense of gratitude? There's something wrong with your motivation. So, if I'm going to serve like Jesus, I must make myself available, and then I make myself grateful. And three, serving like Jesus means being faithful. Faithful. Now, what does that mean? Being faithful means you don't give up. You don't quit. You don't bail out. You don't quit in the middle of your assignment. You know, at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, he's praying in the garden, praying to God the Father. And he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work. Circle that phrase, by completing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus says to God, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. I want you to be able to say that in heaven. 
I want you to be able to say, God, I brought you glory by completing the work that you gave me to do. When Christ was faithful in fulfilling his service, he didn't give up, he didn't give in, he didn't give out, he was persistent. And if you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to need to serve as long as you live. When God made you to serve, you must complete your work. And you can retire from your job someday, but you are never going to retire from ministry. You never retire from service because God shaped you to serve for the rest of your life. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, The one thing required of servants is that they be faithful. So what motivates us to stay faithful in serving God over the long haul? Well, one of the things that we just talked about, gratitude. Gratitude for what God has done in the past can motivate us to stay uh, faithful. You know, if God never did another thing for me, uh, I owe him the rest of eternity because of what he's done in the past. Now, there's also, not just what God has done in the past, there's also the promise of future rewards. Jesus said you're going to be rewarded forever and ever and ever for what you do here on earth, serving God by serving other people. We have the promise of future rewards. And any time you're serving in Jesus' name, no matter how small, it, it, it counts. Three, First Corinthians 15, 58. Let's read this one out loud. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time and effort. Throw yourself into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do is a waste of time or effort. Everything matters. Jesus says you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and it counts. It matters. Now, if you're going to learn to be a servant of God, you've got to learn the difference between significance and prominence. Because significance and prominence are not the same thing. You know, on my body, my nose is very prominent. I mean, it's right there in the center of my face. It just sticks right out there. I mean, my nose is very prominent. My nose is not very important. It's not. I mean, I could lose my nose. You could cut off my nose. And, and I could still live. Okay? It, it's prominent. It's not significant. Now, on the other hand, if I lost my heart or my liver, you know, they're not very prominent. In fact, you'll never see them, I hope. But they're not prominent at all, but they are tremendously significant. If I lost one of them, I'm done. But too many people think that if something is given a lot of visibility, then it must be important. We see that in our celebrity-driven culture. You know, we've got these people that we just see them on every magazine cover and on all the TV shows and all this stuff, and, oh, they're just so visible, so they must be, they must be important. They're not. You know, oftentimes the most important stuff is behind the scenes. God says the parts of the body that you can't see are more important than the parts that you do see. The same is true in the body of Christ. But with our limited perspective, we oftentimes can't see how our small acts have big consequences. But they do. You never belittle the little. Because it's all important. It's all important. You do not mistake anonymous with insignificant. 
because they're two different things. Let me give you a little quiz uh, just to see if you know these. And, and don't call these out. These are just rhetorical questions. Okay? So, do you know the name of the person that runs these slides and the sound system uh, during the service? Uh, do you know the name of the person that copied the sermon CDs that you get at the information table? Do you know the name of the person who set up and cleaned the chair that you're sitting on? Do you know the name of the person that restocked the toilet paper in the bathroom? Do you know the name of the person that made the coffee uh, that you enjoy here this morning? Do you know the name of the person that greeted you at the door and gave you a worship folder? Or the name of the person who stuffed the worship folder? Do you know the name of the person that answers your questions at the information table? Do you know the name of the person who organizes the books in the church library? Do you know the name of the person who brought meals to your family when you were in the hospital or when a family had a funeral? Do you know the name of the person that plays in the worship band or sings in the choir? Do you know the name of the person who changed your baby's diaper in the nursery? Do you know the name of the person who prayed for the prayer request that you put on the communication card or wrote you a personal note uh, on that prayer request? Do you know the name of the person who's helping your kids in our pre-K department or in Rockbrook for Kids or helping with the check-in process? Do you know the name of the person who helped you uh, get signed up and plugged into a small group? Do you know the name of the person who sits at the table with your team uh, during youth group? Do you know the name of the person who takes the offering in the service? See, all of these things are done by anonymous volunteers. You know, people who have made the commitment of membership, they've made the commitment to maturity, and they've made a commitment to ministry. They've moved from being attenders and consumers to become members and ministers. You know, they're doing simple tasks anonymously, not prominently, but they are all significant. In fact, we couldn't function as a church family without them. We couldn't. And it all takes a sacrifice of time, energy, and resources on their part. You know, the people who do all these things, they don't have any more time, money, or less to do than anybody else. They're all busy. They're all strapped for time. They're all strapped for resources. They just have different priorities. They have chosen to reach into their life, reach into their schedule, reach into their families, and move God and His church to the top of their to-do list. You know, if you're involved in ministry, you may be thinking, oh, nobody notices what I do. Nobody's watching. God is watching. God notices. Look at Hebrews 6.10. He, God, will not forget how hard you've worked for Him and how you've shown your love to Him. How? By caring for other Christians. You know, we've memorized the verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. How do you do that? It tells you right here. You love God with all you are by loving and serving other Christians, by being involved in ministry. And God will not forget how hard you've worked for Him. God keeps His promise. And in heaven, you're going to get eternal rewards for your service. Matthew 25, 21 says, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I want God to be able to say that to you. I want God to be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in the little things. Now I got something big for you to do. Come and share my happiness. I want God to be able to say that about you. Honestly, that was the motivation 15 years ago for starting Rockbrook Church. That's that's, that's why I pushed so hard for you to become a member, for you to get plugged into a small group, for you to get fit, get your life in order, and find a place of service and ministry. Why do I push so hard? Because it matters. It counts. It counts forever. Is God going to be able to say to you, well done? Because you were available. You were grateful for the opportunity. And you did it faithfully. You know, is there time in your schedule where you're giving back to God? Uh, or are you waiting for things to slow down? Are you waiting for perfect conditions? Oh, I'll do it later. You know, I make no apology, no apology for saying to you that the most important thing you will ever do with your life is serving God in ministry by helping the church to grow. It is the most important. The church is what God is doing in our day. You know, church is far more important than your career. It's far more important than your hobbies. It is far more important than anything else in your life. Why? Because nothing else is going to last. Nothing. The only thing that gets out of here alive is the church of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, keep in mind that, that you may spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week working at a job in order to be able to pay the bills and stay alive so that you can do one, two, or three hours of ministry every week. But those one, two, and three hours of ministry that you do every week are the most significant thing that you can do with your life. It's what's going to last. The rest of it is going to fade. And God invites us into the process. God gives us the opportunity. God shapes us to serve. Let's pray together. I want to invite you just to pray this prayer with me. Just say, Father, I realize that I was shaped to serve you by serving others. Help me to see interruptions as opportunities to serve. Help me to make time for what matters most. God, forgive me for the times that I put a do not disturb sign on my heart. But you have been so good to me and you have given me the opportunity to serve. You have gifted me to serve. And so, Lord, I want to serve you freely, gratefully, faithfully. I want to practice before I get to heaven. So one day I can hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the little things. Now here's something big for you to do. Come and enjoy your reward. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.